0: The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann is dedicated to teachers. I'm Brett from Heinemann, and today on the Heinemann Podcast, how do we make time for inquiry? author Smokey Daniels says that is his most asked question about inquiry. Smokey is the author of The Curious Classroom, 10 Structures for Teaching with Student-Directed Inquiry. Making space for individual choice when a curriculum has already been planned can be a challenge. Smokey says you have to inquiryize your classroom. Here's our conversation with Smokey on Making Time.
1: The number one question is pretty much always the same. It's how do I find time for this stuff? How do I make room for inquiry in my day? And teachers say, I have a full curriculum to teach. It's not like I have a half an hour spare every afternoon that I don't happen to be using now and I could cram something in there. So it's how do I fit it in to amid all the obligations I have to do, all the things I have to teach the kids? And so one of the ways we say there's only three ways to get time for inquiry. And one of the ways and most important way, the bread and butter way, is you've got to inquiry-ize your curriculum. Mm -hmm. so the things you have to teach if you have to teach African animals if you have to teach photosynthesis whatever the topic is you have to teach try to find a way to do that in an inquiry way and the signature approach to that is we start not by telling the kids read chapter 7 about Manifest Destiny for tomorrow and then we'll start there. The way we begin is, what have you ever heard about Manifest mm. Destiny or Westward Expansion? What do you know about it? What do you think you might know? What do you wonder about it? What's on your mind? And what we do in the ideal situation, we make a list of the questions that kids have about the topic that we're going to study. Now kids will come up with maybe two-thirds know I mean, they often come up with a lot of the stuff that's in the curriculum anyway, so that's cool. And if they forget stuff, if they forget it items elements of it that we think are important we put it on the list because yeah. we're part of the community too and we can pose our own questions and that's fine but one of the really funny things about this is when you begin a unit by asking the kids what they want to know what their questions are they'll also give you crazy nutty usually <laughs> way above grade level questions right there's well, I did this once with third graders they're going to study the sun and the moon if you looked in the curriculum guide it said you know explain who runs rolls around who rotates who revolves <laughs> yeah. all the different stuff and the teacher's supposed to tell it show it demonstrate it but you've asked the kids they come up with all those questions too Mm -hmm. like why does the moon have phases and all that but they have these quite crazy questions like why did columbus think that world was flat and how come we get a tan in the summer and a great one that came from those third graders was why do we have season it's really hard that's not in the third grade curriculum that's in the sixth grade curriculum in in the state that i was in so they give you questions that already cover the curriculum and they give you these wonderful extensions and things they want to find out about. So they usually reach above above their grade level. And then it's fun for us to support that. The important thing is the contract we're mm-hmm. making, the compact between ourselves. I'm going to ask you your questions first. I'm going to put my questions up there with you. And then we're going to explore this together. And so it's the agreement mm-hmm. in that. And kids feel like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. And you haven't really changed that much. You haven't given up that much. I remember when I was first teaching, I was in a situation where I was going to, we had to teach two books. There were two chapter books. Books we were going to read, and I went to the kids. This is in Chicago, and I and I said, "We're going to read this book and this book in the next couple of months. Which one would you like to read first? And They went, "Oh, goody! We get to choose!" And it's this terrible, sad commentary on how little choice ha- kids have yeah. in school. I mean, it's just pitiful. But. It gives you an idea how important it is to them yeah. that we ask
0: them first, what do you want to know? In Curious Classroom, one of the great inquiry ideas that you present is bringing an expert into the classroom as a great way to just pick on that expert's thinking. What's the best way to sort of go about that? What's the best way to bring the expert into the classroom? It's interesting,
1: too. I think this is something that we more recently recognized. You know, I think in school we've been kind of book-oriented, so when mm-hmm. we have kids doing any kind of research, we tend to think that the first thing to do is we have to line up a bunch of magazines for them and we have to get books and we have to go see the librarian and have her bring down a cart and all this sort of stuff. But yeah, experts, this is one of the main places that good researchers and inquirers turn to. They call them up or they yeah. read their articles, they find a way to connect themselves with, with experts. And so in school, we can do that, we can do that very same thing. And it's something in a lot of the inquiry projects in schools that I work with, the teachers make this one of the required pieces, like you have to read at least on an article or two, you mm-hmm. have to do various things and you have to talk to an expert. And then it becomes our responsibility to help connect kids with an expert. I'm reminded of my own sixth grade class back in Santa Fe and there was a girl in there called Christy and she wanted to be a fashion designer and nobody else in the room was interested and nobody knew anything. <laughs> but my daughter who's also interested in tracked down a fashion designer oh, and wow. I have this great picture of Christy sitting in the classroom and I just gave her my phone. Yeah. Which when I was growing up as a teacher you couldn't do and you never and you never would do. <laughs> (laughs) totally routine. They have their own phones. And so she's interviewing this fashion designer on the phone. Oh, wow. And that was how she was doing a big piece of her project. Just a funny story. She designed ended up designing a Halloween costume for Mm -hmm. an adult in the community who went to the ball, the Halloween ball, and won the prize for best costume. And then Christy got several commissions from women around (laughs) town to make these celebratory dresses for them. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so that's one way. You can bring an expert in the room just by handing the phone to a kid. Yeah. One of the schools I've worked with for a long time called the Duke School Mm -hmm. in North Carolina. They have a very, very systematic approach to this and they have the world's biggest Rolodex basically. It's Mm. a K-8 school and all the teachers over a period of years have simply kept track of all the adult partners in the community that Mm -hmm. they've been able to literally physically bring to the school or bring the kids out to see them. One of of the ones I'm thinking of is an organic baker and they go to the, the shop, the bakery where these goods are made and it's absolutely fascinating and the guy's really articulate about it and they bring the kids there second graders and third graders in this case and they do it every year mm-hmm. he see he becomes a permanent he doesn't know it when they ask him <laughs> the first time but he becomes a permanent part of their curriculum yeah. but the only difference is they keep track and they're relentless about reusing and one of the things we've learned from them that's really cool is you have to teach somebody how to come and visit kids oh, in yeah. school you can't yeah. just, just ask somebody to come happen. in and say, yeah. hope for the best yeah. you know it really doesn't always work that way you have to grant them to the kids and help make sure they understand what age the kids are. You have to make sure they understand what the goals, like why they're there Mm -hmm. in their expert capacity. Talk to them a little bit about the sorts of questions you think kids are most likely to want to know about. Mm -hmm. And then you can make that work. And so one of the big thing they really discovered is just be systematic and planful and orderly. Keep track of all these people and use them as many times as you can.
0: What about on the flip side of that with the students? Is there a good way to sort of get the students prepared for the expert coming in or even just sort of getting ready for the Itself. One of the things we do is we have kids, uh, when we know
1: we have an expert, we're really interested. And in. I'm thinking of one that was used by a school. They brought in an expert and he was brought in via Skype. Mm-hmm. So it's, this one wasn't physically there. But he was a theater director and they were in the middle of a project to start a theater company and put on one performance. And it was actually it was a project about running a business. Oh wow. And it was an arts project, but the background of it, the goal, curricular goal of it, was to help kids understand all the ingredients that went together in starting a business. So they found this guy who was somebody's nephew who lived in Miami, and they said, will you come on Skype and tell us, because he's running this, he's producing plays, he's running the theater, he's doing the business end of yeah. an arts business. So before they had him come on, the kids had to make an interview protocol. They mm-hmm. had to ask a list. What would be the most important questions for us to ask of this guy, Michael, this wonderful volunteer, Michael? And different kids were already in different committees. So there was a tickets committee, there was a refreshments committee, there was an artistic committee, there was a, you know, AV committee. Oh, um, and so yeah. each of the kids got in their groups for that particular role they had in the production and they made up questions and then they had them written down in front of them when Michael came on Skype yeah. and they went in kind of orderly way around how the good. room and say, the tickets committee has a couple questions for you Michael how do you do that how oh, do you neat. price your tickets how do you distribute yeah. and so forth there's so many examples and it's one of those things I think it's coming more and more into schools now because we're realizing how easy it really is mm-hmm. and we can do it not only with physical bodies oh one last story I have yeah. to tell you this so in same school school. Carolyn Klein, who's a first-grade teacher, gets up in the morning, and her husband hasn't finished unloading the dishwasher, and on the counter, among other things, is a great big quart Pyrex measuring cup, mm-hmm. and she reaches to put it up on the shelf, and it falls right back down and Ooh. cuts her eyebrow, Ooh. right through, horizontally through her eyebrow, and she's really tough. If you know Carolyn, she's tough. It's not yeah. like she's going to stay home because she's yeah. got a cut. so she gets a <laughs> bunch of paper towels, wads them up on her forehead, drives to school, she gets out of her car in school, and the first person who sees her goes, oh, honey, you cut your, I know, I know, so Who turns up in the parent drop-off line, the next car in line, is an ER doctor. From down the road at the hospital in Durham, North Carolina. And she says, how does this look, Dr. Lamb? And he look, he goes and looks at her and he says, not good. You're going to have a scar you're not going to like. You really got to get stitches in that. And she goes, well, can I come down to the hospital and see you? And he says, well, actually, I'm off today. I'm, I'm on my way to the gym. And he said, but I'll do it here. And the next thing happens, they're doing it in the classroom in front of the kids. and The principal's behind it. The principal's taking pictures. Now, everybody's horrified by this story. Yeah. Understand me. You don't have to get medical treatment in front of your kids. That's, that's not the way you need to use an expert. But um it was and she let the kids who didn't want to do it run away. They had huge classrooms then. But yeah. everybody who ran away came right back when yeah. the action started. So anyway, <laughs> using experts in your classroom.
0: Well, and I think it's fair to say that one of the little secrets about experts is they like to talk about what they're an expert at. You are so right.
1: We you can ask, and we've had this happen a million times, you can ask some business executive, some mm. woman or man, CEO, big wheel in town, even if it's a big town and if somebody calls, call, said, Can you take a meeting Tuesday at in three o'clock? It's no way. I'm too busy. You're kidding. Maybe yeah. three months from now. You call them up and say, Will you come and teach our first graders for half an hour? They go, Oh, what time do I show up? <laughs> yeah. They really do. Yeah. People really have do. such a heart for this. We can be bold
0: because we'd be amazed at what people are just delighted to come down and, and do with the kids. In the last chapter of Curious Classroom, Smokey, you write about learning with partners. What do you mean by that? This profession has been called a cellular profession, which is when we go to work and
1: we go into our own cell, our own classroom, Mm -hmm. and they're all pretty much alike. And we go in there for six hours and we have our way with whatever children are trapped there with us. You know, we all have the same job, but we've had this endless problem about we never see each other work. We never get in in each other's classrooms. It's not part of the culture. And people sometimes use the term deprivatizing our practice. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much to gain when we work with each other. In the Curious Classroom book, one of the things that I show examples of and talk about a lot is I think, for one thing, grade- level partners like fourth grade teachers who get together, eighth grade language arts teachers or science teachers who get together. It's like the secret sauce of change in a school. Everybody wonders, should it be top down? Should Mm -hmm. it be bottom up? What's the best way to do this? What I find where change really happens fast is when two or three teachers get together because they want to and they come up with a project they want to work on together with their kids and then they start getting into each other's classrooms and they have times when they want to gather everybody and they Mm -hmm. pack everybody, all 60 kids into one room and then they split up in different ways, and that accelerates growth in schools more than any other thing that I've seen, and I think that's really important. But beyond that, of course, what we want people to do is get into the other schools in the district. You can set up cross-visiting programs where mm-hmm. you send one teacher from each grade level over to Maple Grove, and the mm-hmm. Maple Grove teachers come to Glenwood, and they swap back and forth a couple times during the year. And our, a lot of the schools in our book participate in wider kinds of teacher exchanges, and, and sometimes when you get something going really well in your building, something you want to show off, like maybe how you offer support to kids with special learning needs. Then other schools want to come and see what you're doing, and then you want to go see something special that they're doing. So it's a great source of spark and energy, and to just to show each other, we can do this. A yeah. lot of times when you're locked alone in your room, you're not aware of what's happening around you. What other people are doing, they face the same problems, but people have different solutions. So that thing about, it sounds kind of academic, but that thing about deprivatizing mm-hmm. our classrooms, you know, we've got to open the doors and kind of lock them in the open position and let ideas come in and out.
0: My thanks to Smokey Daniels for his time today. Smokey's book, The Curious Classroom, is available now from Heineman.com, where you can also find more of our conversation with Smokey, download a sample chapter of the book, and check out blogs from The Curious Classroom. Don't forget to follow Smokey on Twitter, at Smokey Lit. You can also follow Heineman on Twitter as well, at Heineman Pub, and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and our various Facebook groups. We'd love for you to subscribe to the Heinemann Podcast on iTunes or Google Play or wherever it is you follow podcasts. We'd also love to hear your comments on the Heinemann Podcast, so be sure to leave us a comment or review. Plus, you can get a daily teacher tip right on your phone directly from Heinemann Authors by downloading the Heinemann Teacher Tip app. All this and more on Heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.